6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 120 through 134. Psalm 121, a song of degrees, or sense. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee shall, uh, will not slumber. Now, when you look at uh, that first verse, I will uh, lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? Some scholars render that as a question. In other words, where is it coming from? And then that's the answer. You follow me? It's an antiphonal kind of thing. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. You know, it's interesting. No matter what direction you come from, when you approach Jerusalem, you approach it through the hills. If there's hills on, all the way around Jerusalem. That's going to be celebrated later in the Psalms, but I, uh, for what it's worth. Okay, no matter what direction you come from. And it says in verse 3, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. It's because of verse 4 that I don't worry about Israel and Jerusalem. That doesn't mean it's going to be peaceful. There's a lot of trouble coming. But I know how it's going to end. Their history is written in advance. I read the final chapters. I know how it comes out. I do worry about America. Because I don't see any clear evidence that America will survive as a major factor into the final days. That's a reality that requires some study and careful thought. But moving on here, verse 5, the Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. You see, you and I also are kept, protected, uh, uh, sheltered by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5 assures you that. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Strange phrase. It probably can, day, sun measures days, the moon months. So it can just look at it poetically if you like. But uh, the sun certainly can smite thee by day if it's too hot and you're not protected. You know, we can visualize that pretty easily. But this moon by night's kind of a mystery. Um, because it, some, most scholars recognize that in the old days, not so much in recent years, but in the old days, people tended to associate dementia to moonlight and, and uh, the uh, you know struck by uh, moonstruck is a term and people the word lunacy comes from luna the moon now we don't embrace those kinds of ideas today but that certainly was the popular conception at least so the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night could be a catering to that perspective 
And uh, so, uh, but I do understand that the word epileptic in the Greek comes from the moon. Doesn't mean it caused it, don't misunderstand me, but that was an attribution that was popular in the early times. But the psalmist continues, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Boy, you and I can take comfort in that. What's the worst your enemy can do? He can, all he can do is kill you. But see, the Lord will preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Wow. See, verse 7 is really an echo of Romans 8.28. I don't know about you. I tab my Bible with that there to check it's still there. But once a day, make sure that Romans 8.28... For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to the purpose. What are the three most important words in that verse? The first three. For we know. Not believe or hope. No, we know that the Lord, you know, watches over us. And so, uh, the, uh, remember Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, was in prison for 13 years, and yet he could Say to his brothers later, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Boy, if we could just remember that. When we come into adversity to take the confidence that God, everything that happens is Father filtered and that God has a purpose in it. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in even from this time forth and even forevermore. Do you know what the name for doorpost is in Hebrew? Mezuzah. And a mezuzah is the little holder that you'll see on any Jewish threshold. Sometimes, not just on the outdoors, but in every room in the house. A little mezuzah. It has, it has scripture in it. Basically, usually it's the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, 6, we're right in there. Um, or it could easily be verse 8 of this psalm. My help cometh from the Lord. That's the same thing that Proverbs said. The Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. That's the same thing that uh, uh, Psalm 37 highlighted. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And uh, Hannah said in 1 Samuel 2, he will keep the feet of his saints. And uh, Jude closes the, the, just before the book of Revelation, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you faultless and so on. So these ideas are not obviously foreign to us. But let's move on to Psalm 122. Now we've seen the hills. We're getting closer. Now we can actually see Jerusalem itself, the site of Jerusalem. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Now, by the way, this term house of the Lord, if this was written by David, that may surprise you, except you need to realize that the house of the Lord is not restricted to the temple itself. That was yet future from David's point of view. His son uh, was to subsequently build it. But that term is also used of the tabernacle in 1 Samuel 2 and elsewhere. So for what it's worth, um, some scholars attempt to deny David's authorship because of some of this language. But uh, actually... Jeroboam's concern in the rebellion against uh, uh, Solomon's son uh, highlights the practice of pilgrimages to come to Jerusalem. 
That was one of the things Jer- bothered Jeroboam. So those, this, these pilgrimages and these songs of ascents were obviously operative back right there in those early years. Continuing, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. The word Jerusalem, by the way, really means the foundation for peace. Shalom being peace. Jerusalem. Uh, But there will be, of course, no peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace comes. Many verses attest to that, most principally Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3, which indicates everyone that takes up the issue of Jerusalem is destined frustration. In fact, a global hernia will result. And uh, literally, read it yourself. Yeah, exactly. So let, but let us not forget, as Christians, and New Testament Christians, let's not forget or neglect our Jewish heritage. Even whether you're Jewish or not, we, we serve a Jewish king, and we worship from a Jewish Bible in a church that was founded by Jewish believers. And we need to n- never lose sight of that. We have an untold debt to all of them, of course. But... Uh, There is a millennial prophecy in Hosea 3 that we might just highlight as we pass through here. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness forever. So this includes a prophecy that goes to the millennium. Psalm 22 again, 122 again. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For thy brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Quite a psalm, 122. We've seen the hills, Jerusalem, now we're focusing on the temple, which of course is the primary target here, the house of worship. Unto thee lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. The first verse there makes it clear that the psalmist doesn't confine God to a physical building. Some naive critics say, well, the Jews were, thought, you know, that kept God in a box, the ark or the temple. No, no, no. They were idiomatic. Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And the idea that Israel, you know, worshipped a tribal God of some kind of local deity is just to be, to be misinformed. Now, behold, the eyes of the servants look unto the hand of their masters. You need to understand that in those days, the servant would, the master would signal his servant with, with hand signals. He could give a gesture, and the guy knew what he wanted to bring him, bring him his coffee or whatever. Didn't have to ask for it. He, the servant would know by just a signal what it was. They used hand signals to direct servants. And like the same thing, a maiden that serves a, a mistress, her eyes, she'd watch her eyes. She'd know what her, she would anticipate. A good servant doesn't respond to a need, it anticipates the needs. And uh, so, and just, just as they do that, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. And uh, 
So do you watch the clock when you're working for your boss? When he's in the office, do you work a little harder, a little more diligently? Well, okay. Do you realize that God is watching all the time? Ooh. Ooh. I'm reminded of a little girl that asked her grandpa, does God see everything I'm doing? And the wise old grandpa said, he loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. <laughs> great, great answer, I love that. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. And aren't we, if we're honest with ourselves, that contempt continues to this day. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. We're going to talk more about those guys shortly. Okay, Psalm 124, I'll just call it divine deliverance. It's sort of a historical perspective of the calling for deliverance. Psalm 124 has a distinguished, you know, one of the things I'm sparing you, because it just takes a lot of time to go through a lot of these things, but for each of these individual Psalms, there's a long list of great people who had them memorized, who used them in their lives. Great leaders of countries, great leaders in the church, especially visible are those in the Protestant rebellion against Rome in those bloody, bloody years of the Reformation on. It's astonishing how many people being burned at the stake would sing a psalm they'd memorized. And they all, each one of these psalms has its own unique history. Herbert Lockyer's commentary, big thick commentary, primarily deals on the historical relevance of these psalms to many great leaders. And, and uh, for us to cite those doesn't mean much unless you happen to really know the history of England, the history of France, and so forth. But anyway, Psalm 124 is sung each December 12th in Geneva because they're celebrating a victory. Uh, the Duke of Savoy, who was favored to Rome, was trying to attack Geneva. They just regained it, but they're attacking it. But fortunately, they were able to get a warning, and there's a whole colorful background that they did win and maintained their... their you realize, well, here's a whole city, a fortress that protected itself against the attacks of the Roman sympathizers. Um, and uh, because they survived that in 1602, in fact, it's known as the Escalade within that culture, 1602, every December 12th, they sing Psalm 124, celebrating their victory against the enemies of the true Christians. Enemy, their enemies being the organized church in those days. In August 22nd of 1900, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions received a telegram from Chefu in China where missionaries were being massacred. The worst persecution of the century was going on. And the cablegram that came through just said Psalm 124 and then a list of those that escaped, these missionaries that, that survived. And as the Daily Paper pointed out, that was a better than an encrypted code. People didn't know what it meant. But by re those People who knew their Bible, they knew what Psalm 124 meant, and that list of missionaries were those that had victory, that, were, that had been supernaturally delivered from the onslaught that they were being exposed to. And uh, this is also often sung at the Feast of Purim as deliverance from Haman. Each one of these is a miraculous deliverance, which is the spirit of the psalm. Okay? Song of Degrees of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, and I'll finish in a minute, but the, you notice the if, if, if. I think most of you are familiar with Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, If. If not, I encourage you to look it up and read it. 
It's, uh, again, uh, if, if the word if, can, can, this little two-letter word can contain much virtue, depending on how it's used. And uh, Shakespeare used this, freak, this idea frequently in uh, As You Like It. He says, your if is, yeah, your if, if, if your if is only a peacemaker, there's much virtue in if. Shakespeare himself said that. I mean, it wrote it in. And also in King Richard III, he says, uh, Talkest thou to me of ifs? Thou art a traitor, off with his head. See, the word if can be very, it's a, it's a why in the road. And that why in the road can go either way. So the word if is a very, very powerful um, um, decision point. And so... If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, we have three thens. Then they had swallowed us up a quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. That echoes that again. Three times the then, if you were, well, binds what might have been if it hadn't been for God. God's help intervenes in each one of these cases. And uh, the waters there could easily be the waters of the Red Sea or the waters of the Jordan River when they crossed over or the waters of any circumstance which they found themselves in as a nation many, many times. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. You know, it's interesting when you study the background here, do you realize that Hebrew has 12 different words for lions? They took lions seriously. In their world, they were a threat. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. And uh, wild beasts were a, a, a serious threat. And of course, what's the ultimate wild beast? Who goes about as a roaring lion? Satan. Make no mistake of it. Verse 7. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of a snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. And in the Hebrew, this is very emphatic. It really says, and we, we are escaped. The we is like doubled, if you will. And we, we are escaped. And it's quite remarkable. There's at least a dozen references where great people in the past have quoted from Psalm 124, verse 7, when they've been somehow released from a, a, a serious threat of some kind. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice the creator reference here. Our help is in the name of the Lord who? Which one? The one who made heaven and earth. It never ceases to surprise me how often God alludes to himself as the creator. We always think of him as the redeemer, and indeed we should. But he also, more, even more fundamental, he made heaven and earth. Okay. Now we're to, we've had this divine deliverance, now we have a song of security, Psalm 125. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. So the pilgrim now actually is, sees the Mount Zion itself. And obviously he's encouraged for the future. That's why this has been called a song of security. As a prediction of Israel's national protection and restoration. And by the way, Israel is surrounded. I mean, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. But of course, the, the real rock that protects them is Jesus Christ. And there are many references to that. I won't weary you with that one.
For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. The word rod there actually is the word for scepter, like a ruler. It's the scepter of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. For such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. Okay, a little, little psalm of security. Short ones. Psalm 126, the joy of the return. They're coming back from wherever and they're expressing joy here. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. In other words, it's a too-good-to-be-true kind of feeling they're feeling, coming from wherever they're coming up to Jerusalem. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Just a song of joy, a heartfelt joy, as they come back into the, 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 the scope of Zion. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I'll come on to that in a minute. Turn again our captivity. The language here seems to suggest of multiple returns. Now, the, the, from the Babylonian captivity, their first return was under Cyrus's decree. He not when he captured Babylon, he, Daniel came out and read to him Isaiah, this letter that that is written to him, written 150 years earlier, calling him by name, outlining his career. He's so impressed by that. It's a matter of history that he released, not only released the Jews to go back and build their temple, he gave them financial incentives. He made big donation for the temple. He gave each one financial incentives to go. Only 50,000, in fact, a little less than 50,000 returned. And, uh, you know, one of our students wrote in, and it was curious, you know, you mean the others were disobedient? Yes, they really were, because they should have gone. That was their, really their destiny. But only 50,000 took advantage of it under Cyrus. That's in Ezra, first three chapters. It actually lists the families and so forth. And uh, it's later under Darius in Ezra chapter 6 that another group joined them. And then in the next uh, chapter 7 and 8 under Artaxerxes, a subsequent king, some more went. But so there were some... Uh, there are three uh, recorded uh, returns, if you will. But again, this captivity could refer yet to another one, yet future, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And the word joy there can also mean singing. They that sow in tears shall reap in singing. There is an ancient proverb that sort of fits this. It says, he that believes what he doth see, this is the seed. Uh, excuse me, he, he that believes what he does not see, this is the seed, shall one day see what he hath believed, that's the harvest. That's the proverb that this sort of echoes in a sense. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so this is analogous to what the New Testament says, be not weary in uh, well-doing and so forth. Okay, now we come to a very famous psalm, another one of the songs of ascent. And this psalm has been used on a number of very important official occasions. For example, it was used in the inauguration of President Eisenhower. 
two Bibles were used. One of them was George Washington's Bible, and it was open at Psalm 127 during the inauguration. And there's, and there's also some quotes I'll come to in a minute. And it's a very basic idea that we must always keep in front of us as we take on ventures. And, uh, and by the way, it says a song of degrees for Solomon. That line is not in the Septuagint for some reason. And uh, some people uh, debate the fact that it was written by Solomon. It may have been written by David for his son, but those are all speculations in any case. And the word vain is going to occur three times in these verses. Let's just take a look at it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. That's interesting. I never thought about it before. You go to bed early or sleep late, or excuse me, do it the other way around. If you stay up late working hard, or you get up early to do a little extra, it's vain. I never realized that. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. The Lord really loves you, you'll get your full night's sleep. You've got to trust him. Think about it. You know, it's interesting, everything is in vain unless God is in it. That's basically what it's trying to say. It's not trying to tell you not to, to work late or get up early. It's just pointing out, make sure God is in it is the point. Benjamin Franklin, during the Constitutional Convention, was confronted with an impasse. They were ready to break up. And ben Franklin made a speech. And he said in a speech, If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? And with that, he called him to prayer. And with that, the impasse was dissolved, and they went on to create the Constitution, or Declaration of Independence. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music